I'm very lucky to uh, to get to go see several of the last the space shuttle launches, and that was just truly an amazing experience to see that in person. Just the power, you know, actually being at the press site for one of them, the NASA press site at Kennedy Space Center, and not just seeing it, but actually feeling it. The way it made the ground rumble, um, the sound, you know, it, from a physics standpoint, of course, you know, the speed of light is much faster than the speed of sound. Seeing it lift off, and then you know, seconds later, actually hearing the sound and the ground rumble. It's just an awe-inspiring experience. So just all of that stuff, I think, has always uh, played into my interest. In some ways, that curiosity that uh, you know, about space and wanting to learn and the technical aspects of it, I think maybe did set me on the path that I ended up on in IT and, and eventually InfoSec. Maybe I wouldn't have had those, those interests in technology if um, it hadn't been for the, you know, the passion that space exploration had inspired in me as a kid. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Chuck Kessler, the CISO of Pendo. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Caroline. I'm really excited to be here today. Chuck, I'd love to learn about your career trajectory. You're a CISO. I think a lot of our listeners are either CISOs themselves maybe thinking about getting into a CISO role one day, certainly interested in the CISO position and all of its roles and responsibilities. Can you tell me about your journey? How did you get here? Yeah, great question. I uh, My career spans 30 years at this point, um, and I certainly didn't start out thinking I was going to be a CISO or even work in information security. My career really started out um, more as a systems administrator, uh, working on some Unix systems at a university a long time ago, right after, um, actually, when well, I was a student as an undergrad, and then after I graduated, they gave me a full-time job. So back then, security was just kind of part of what we did. Um, and over the course of the next couple of decades, security grew into its own industry. And uh, I, I was always on the periphery of that. I had some friends that made the transition from being sysadmins uh, into security, and I was making the transition at that same time into management, um, always keeping a close eye on security. And uh, I guess it was around 2000, I was working for a different startup uh, back before the uh, the first, uh, the, I guess, the dot-com bust of uh, of uh, the 2000 era there. Um, it was uh, we, we realized with the work that we were doing there, we needed to start uh, needed to start a security team. And um, they gave me that task. Um, I was very interested in seeing what that might look like. So that was my first opportunity to uh, to you know, figure out what we need to build a team, uh, build policies, build a program. Um, that lasted for roughly about a year. Unfortunately, that company ended up getting involved and uh, we kind of went our separate ways at some point there. And I, I fell back into the, the sysadmin world or actually managing sysadmin there for a few years. But some of my friends that I had uh, um, started working with back in that that, that first uh, endeavor, they had gone to a company called At Stake, and uh, At Stake was bought by Symantec. Um, I think that was roughly around 2005, and uh, got uh, invited to come work with them. And that was that was a, a tremendous opportunity. Those were some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Um, just amazing talent and a uh, great opportunity to learn from them as well as working with uh, just an incredible set of customers that we had. A lot of Fortune 500 customers, very large security programs. You got to learn uh, you know, what it looked like, not just you know, building things from the ground up, but once you had an established program, some of the challenges that you would have to deal with in keeping that program going. 
So um, at that point, I was really managing projects, and over time, I grew into managing the team. And um, around 20, 2011, I think it was, um, an old colleague of mine had become the CTO for Duke University Health System, and uh, they were looking for a CISO and had reached out to me. Um, again, you know, interesting opportunity. I'd not been a CISO before at that point. And it was something that I thought, well, you know, I, I feel like I'm prepared. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it seemed like a huge challenge, but at the same time, the CISO world was really, uh, you know, not as mature as it is today. There were not as many people with CISO experience. Um, so it was still a role that was being defined, I think, in many ways at that point. And I thought, yeah, you know, it seems like a huge challenge, but a challenge I wanted to take. So I jumped in. Um, you know, spent seven years at, uh, at Duke, uh, an amazing place with, uh, you know, 30,000 employees. Um, and I think we saw roughly about uh, 2 million patients per year. Um, so top 10 research hospital doing amazing cutting edge research, helping to find cures for cancer and many other things. Uh, so, um, you know, just a, an incredibly complex opportunity to, uh, to dig into there. Um, from there, you know, again, that was uh, just a tremendous learning experience, but I got approached again uh, a couple of years ago to join Pendo, uh, startup, again, founded by uh, somebody that I'd uh, known for a while. And uh, they were trying to figure out um, with their growth curve, they realized they needed to build a security program. And uh, again, another opportunity to jump in and start from scratch. Um, and with a company that seemed to have uh, a tremendous amount of growth potential. So um, it was a really difficult decision to leave the team that I had built at Duke. Um, I'd grown that team from, I think I was the fifth person on the team whenever I joined and uh, 25 people when I left. So that was a, a you know a, a group of folks that I'd come to know and love and really enjoyed working with. But this was another opportunity to start from scratch. When I joined Pendo, I was the, you know, the first security person. Um, security was a role that was uh, you know, held jointly by a number of people uh, in the engineering team. And uh, they realized they needed to uh, to start building a program. So I came in and uh, now have a team of six people working for me today. And hopefully we'll be about 10 by the end of the year. Um, that's one thing I really enjoy is, is being able to, to start from scratch, uh, figure out what the organization needs, how to align it with the business and uh, find the right people. Um, it's always interesting looking at the talent that's out there. Um, sometimes you're, you bring in experienced people, but I also like finding people that are um, just interested in learning about security and maybe have um, some relevant uh, experience from some other area or great soft skills, you know, just raw material to work with. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I've gotten to where I am. Um, again, I, I don't look at myself as the person that understands every technical detail of security, but I, I do, um, I do enjoy the aspects of, um, figuring out what an organization needs to build a good security program that's aligned with this, uh, with the business. And most importantly, how to integrate it with the culture and get the right people to help all this stuff fit together. So, yeah, that's a little bit about how, um, how I got to where I am. Incredible. You know, Chuck, you were talking about building teams at Duke University Health and also at Pendo. Um, you talked about wanting to identify folks who had strong raw material to work with. And if you'll indulge me, I'd love to ask you a little bit about yourself as a young person. I understand that you studied physics when you were in school, and I'm really curious to know you know, who was pre-college Chuck Kessler? Uh, what were you interested in? How did you decide to choose physics as a field of study? 
Uh, that's a really interesting question, Caroline. Um, so uh, it, it's it's kind of funny looking back on that now, you know, with a son that is uh, just started college this year and watching his growth over the last few years and reflecting back on, you know, my my life at that period of time. And uh, he's taking a very similar career path, majoring in computer science now. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of think back to when I was his age, I was toying with computers. I was very fortunate that um, grew up with a single mom, and she uh, managed to somehow find the money to buy me a computer back when I was, I think, maybe 13 or 14 years old. And um, that's how I learned. You know, I, I played with that computer all the time, learned assembly language. I learned how to reverse engineer the video game cartridges and figure out what, what the code was on them and how to change that code. Um, so I was kind of hacking on things back then, and that you know, that, that's not really how my career has developed. I haven't become a hacker from that standpoint. But I, I think one of the mistakes I made is I convinced myself back then that, hey, I already know all this computer stuff. So, you know, I don't need to go get a computer science degree. Physics sounds kind of cool. And uh, actually, I've always wanted to work for NASA. That's uh, still actually maybe our career goal one day. Maybe I'll end up doing that eventually before I retire. Uh, but, uh, you know, I thought, well, physics is a great way to do that. I can get an undergraduate degree in physics. I'm you know certainly going to get a master's degree maybe a PhD in, in something, you know, either in physics or an engineering degree of some sort. So that's what I want to do. Well, little did I realize once I started my university career, very quickly um, I, I found out there were much bigger and more interesting computers than the little one I had at home, a lot more opportunities to learn things. And I realized, hey, there's a lot more to developing software than just fiddling around uh, with video game cartridges and assembly language and writing basic code, writing my own little games like I had done uh, back when I was a kid. So I had opted not to go the computer science route, and uh, it was just kind of a little uh, arrogance on my part, honestly, just thinking I didn't have that much more to learn. There was actually a lot more that I had to learn at that point. I did manage to pick up a lot of that through, I, I took you know, enough courses to get a minor in computer science. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something I, I, I told my son, you know, when he entered college um, or was thinking about what he wanted to do. Um, he had spent a lot of time, actually, he's an you know, amazing kid, just already has learned uh, quite a bit about software development and has uh, done some amazing work there himself and uh, sort of had the same thoughts in his head about, uh, hey, you know, maybe I don't have anything to learn in computer science. Yeah, actually, you do. <laughs> so I think it's worth spending the time to, uh, to go and get that, that degree to do the additional learning. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I, I got started way back then. It's kind of interesting to see how my career has morphed, um, in several different directions from there. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I always have to say, uh, uh, there's no regrets. You know, you end up on the right path sooner or later. And I felt like, uh, I eventually ended up there in the right path. Just took me a couple of different turns to get there. Yeah. You know, Chuck, I find myself, um, because we're on a Zoom call and we've all turned our video off. And so we've got our photos and your avatar actually has a NASA shirt on. Uh, and if I am interpreting this correctly, uh, the background, I wonder if it's like you're at the International Space Station or something, you know, so it's like really interesting to hear. I went into physics because I was really interested in space um, and, and that, that remains an interest for you, you know, and I happen to be really different. I'm sort of like, Hey, this planet's good for me. Um, but I, but I wonder what is it that is so fascinating to you? Is it the unknown? Is it the bigness? Is it the, 
you know, is there a spiritual component to it? Um, I'm just, I'm curious to know, uh, where, where that, uh, passion comes from. Hey, yeah, that's a great question. And just a little bit about that avatar is something we do at Pendo. Uh, as new hires, we get to, you know, basically design an avatar. Um, somebody does all the artwork for us. We tell them what we want on it. And it ends up on a coffee cup and you know, some things like that. And a lot of us use them for our Slack images or our, our Zoom backgrounds. Um, yes, that particular one, you nailed it. That is on the International Space Station sitting in uh, the area that's called the Cupola, which is basically this just amazing area where you look out on the planet below uh, with windows all around. So, um, yeah, just I would love to uh, to go visit that one day. Um, just, you know, when I see the pictures from up there, it just looks amazing having that vantage point on Earth. And, you know, what attracted to me um, to space as a kid, I mean, I've always been interested, and I think you just kind of touched on a number of the areas there. It's just, you know, the vastness, the unknown, the curiosity, the technical challenges, how you get up there, how you would travel, how you would survive. It just has always been fascinating for me, uh, and probably a bit of a sci-fi fan as well. You know, that, that has always played into it. Um, I'm very lucky to, uh, to get to go see several of the last um, the space shuttle launches. And that was just truly an amazing experience to see that in person. And uh, just the power, you know, actually being at the press site for one of them, the NASA press site at Kennedy Space Center, and not just seeing it, but actually feeling it, the way it made the ground rumble. Um, the sound, you know, it, from a physics standpoint, of course, you know, the speed of light is much faster than the speed of sound. Seeing it lift off and then, you know, seconds later, um, actually hearing the sound and the ground rumble, it's just an awe-inspiring experience. So just all of that stuff, I think, has always um, uh, played into my interest. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, and not, it ended up not being a career for me, but um, certainly is something I always pay attention to. And uh, I, I think in some ways that curiosity, that uh, you know, curiosity about space and wanting to learn and the technical aspects of it, I think maybe did set me on the path that I ended up on in IT and, and eventually InfoSec. Um, maybe I wouldn't have had those, those interest in technology if um, it hadn't been for the, you know, the passion that space exploration had inspired in me as a kid. Yeah. Incredible. I, one of the things that I love about hosting this podcast is that I get to know people uh, and ask them questions that I might not get to otherwise ask, you know, and for me to kind of imagine and picture sort of young Chuck as a boy and, and Chuck is a young man and Chuck is a CISO, you know, it's just fascinating. You know, um, from my perspective, it seems as though you're interested in adventure. You're interested in the unknown, you know, and I think this is an opportunity for me to kind of turn our conversation toward Pendo. So, um, you know, our companies, it's kind of like, oh, uh, Cobalt uses Pendo and Pendo uses Cobalt and that's pretty cool. Um, Pendo seems to be doing incredibly well. Um, expanding, winning awards, unicorn status, billion dollar valuation, you know, and I think that in the physical world, space is sort of that sort of out there thing. I think that in the digital world, in the business world, you know, organizations like Pendo have that same sort of like wow factor and that same sort of like, well, not so many people have done that. And like the people who are doing it, you know, maybe there's this element of like 
figuring it out. Uh, you know, and I wonder if that's part of what has attracted you to Pendo, you know, to hear you say that you're nearly doubling the size of your team this year at Pendo. Um, you know, I think that's fairly unusual uh, for most security teams. Um, so it's just really exciting. You know, we'd love to hear about what that sort of hyper growth experience has been like for you uh, in your security leadership position. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I've always enjoyed change. Um, I, I think people have different proclivities towards change. I mean, some people really enjoy environments which are always new and different, and some people like things to kind of stay the same. Um, I'm definitely one of those people who, who likes to see, you know, okay, let's, we've been doing this for a while. Maybe we should try it a different way. Um, so there's definitely an adventure component to um, maybe me making that decision to jump from, from Duke to Pendo. I mean, Duke was a wonderful place, amazing organization, great people. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, why in the world would you leave that? Why would you go to Pendo? Like, well, yeah, it's an adventure. <laughs> you know, we are building something that uh, nobody um, you know, has done before. And, uh, um, you know, just it seemed like an amazing group of people, very smart people, very dedicated um, to the mission. And uh, I, I think that's that, that attracted me. I think my interest in information security was very similar. I could have kept working as an, you know, in the IT sysadmin space, you know, managing big IT teams and things like that. But um, security seemed like a huge challenge. Like, no, and I don't think any of us what fully solved, no, none of us have fully solved the security problem, right? It's a, it's an ever changing field. Um, and, uh, it's something that if you're, unless you're curious, unless you're always willing to learn, um, you probably won't be successful. So I, I do like to think those characteristics in me help me, um, uh, you know, be a better security professional. But yes, I think you're right. I, there is a part of me that really enjoys adventures in my professional life. And, uh, that certainly brought me to Pendo. It's so cool. You know, Chuck, it occurs to me that we may have listeners who are unfamiliar with Pendo. Can you give us kind of the, and here I am uh, trying to use language that's probably too cool for my age, but can you give me the TLDR on what is what is Pendo? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I use that term all the time, TLDR. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, I've had to explain it to some other executives. So yeah, yeah maybe we are the cool kids after all. Um, so, uh, yeah, Pendo is, I like for security people, the way I, I tend to put it is we're user behavior analytics for product managers. Uh, we, we instrument web applications and mobile applications to help our, help product managers and other, you know, engineering teams understand how users are, are engaging with an application. Um, what are, for example, the friction points? Um, what paths do they take to the application? Um, how much time do they spend in certain parts of the application? Which features are they using? Which are they not using? And then being able to use that information to um, putting these tools in the hands of a product manager directly to build things like in-application guides. So, for example, if you're launching a new feature and you want to be able to highlight that for your users, to be able to have a product manager construct a walkthrough and uh, highlight, you know, with some pop-ups, you know, this is what the, you know, this is a new feature you might be interested in. But being able to target that those notifications based on the user's profile. So, for example, there may be a, um, maybe you want to, uh, to target a certain set of notifications to, you know, people who are, you know, security people, right? Uh, so, you know, if that's the role attached to the person, then you can show them a, a certain type of walkthrough. Um, another thing that's kind of interesting, I think, from a security perspective, when I, when I look at how Pendo can be used within 
our customer applications is it can also be used for things like, uh, you know, uh, training. Um, if we want to highlight uh, security awareness topics and things of that nature, hey, we can build walkthrough guides um, and help uh, you know, help get that information out there. If there's a security feature um, in an application that we want to uh, inform our users about, we can do that as well. So there's a lot of a lot of very interesting capabilities that, that come around um, from all this. Pendo is an incredibly complicated application, um, but it's also you know very powerful. Lots of flexibility to do those different types of things. And you know the really key uh, aspect of this is being able to put the power into the hands of the product manager, who oftentimes is not you know a, a web developer, um, you know varying degrees of, of level of technical expertise. But to be able to make it simple for them to understand how, again, users are engaging with the application. And, um, again, to be able to provide that, uh, those informative walkthroughs, um, to help product features be used, um, more actively. Very cool. Chuck, I'm taking a, a side, uh, panel here. Uh, if there was anything about the next question that I'm going to ask that makes you feel like I'd rather not answer or I'd rather not include that, then just let me know. Okay. Um, Chuck, when I think about a chief information security officer for any organization, I'm always curious to know what's the real job. And what I mean by that is for Cobalt, for example, or Pentest as a service company, we host customer software vulnerabilities in our SaaS platform. So we have a tremendous duty to protect that information appropriately. At Pendo, and I'm really shooting from the hip here, I'm, I'm very curious to know your thoughts on it. It occurs to me, Pendo has this information that says, here's how your app works. We can actually enable you to change the way your app works. And what if that data, that information, that control gets into the hands of folks that we don't want to have that access. Um, is that, from your perspective, sort of the big interesting problem that, that you and your teams think about? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, when I really take a step back from what we do as CISOs, we're not really in the security business or the privacy business or the compliance business. We're ultimately in the trust business. And um, for Pendo to be successful, our customers have to trust trust that we can protect the data. Same as, as you all in terms of the data that you're, you're um, collecting and, and uh, storing. Um, absolutely right. I mean, again, I use you all as our uh, one of our pen test providers, and um, you've done a great job for us in that regard. But yes, I mean, we want to make sure that information stays protected. We collect on the order of about 10 billion events per day from our customers. 10 billion, that's a, that's a lot of data. Um, and, uh, you know, some of it has PII associated with it. So our, our customers definitely are, are only doing that because they trust that we can protect the information. So that's ultimately my job is to make sure that we have the right program in place, um, to ensure that, you know, yes, we are protecting the data. All the, all the right controls are in place on the, um, on the platform itself, but also as an organization, we have the right controls. Uh, we have the right HR controls. Um, you know, we don't post data in our, facilities or anything like that. So it kind of changes the equation a little bit on things like physical security, but we have to think about those things and to what level we have those types of risks. So, you know, for me, again, it's, it's really going back to making sure that, um, that we, we're understanding risks and that we're designing the right controls that are aligned with our business. So that the ultimate goal is our customers 
trust that we're able to protect that information. If we lose that trust, you know, it can be an ex existential risk for our companies. You know, same thing with you all. Um, if, if there was, you know, an issue that, that exposed information that you host, yes, this could be an ex existential threat for us. So that's part of my job as being a, an advisor to our, our executive team. You know, back to your question about what does a CISO really do? Um, Yes, I mean it's it's ultimately about understanding what those risks are and being able to frame them for our executives so they can make the right decisions around how we go about addressing those risks. Very cool. You are the existential threat advisor guy. Um, <laughs> no pressure. What what a cool job! What a cool job! It sounds to me like you've sort of always been interested in high pressure situations. Um, Chuck, I am curious to know about. When you go about building your cybersecurity program, what are your thoughts on sort of the science and the art that is hiring folks, working with third parties, leveraging technology, leveraging services? You know, from my perspective, the job of a CS CISO is to kind of one simple way to think about it might be to go collect these ingredients and then and then mix them up all together. You know, uh, one of the things that you alluded to, uh, as both of our organizations are SaaS companies, is you know, it's a it's a completely different uh, scenario uh, than an organization that's got everything on prem. Um, and so I'm just curious to know, how do you think about that? How do you go about planning what your security program strategy is and what roles people and process and technology each play. Right. I, I think um, a lot of it goes back to understanding risks, as I was just talking about a moment ago. Um, if you don't have a good picture of what, you know, what services you're providing to your customers um, and how those services could be co-opted in some way, um, you need to start there. You need to, you need to have that baseline. Um, from there, it's determining, okay, you know, where, where do the biggest risks lie? And then deciding, um, where to focus your resources. You know, you, you, you mentioned there a mix of people you hire, people you bring in and things that you outsource. For me, a lot of that goes back to understanding what your core competencies are or maybe what your core competencies should, should be if, if, uh, if you don't have them. Um, versus the things that are commodities and are easily outsourced. I think just, you know, us both being SaaS companies, it's an interesting transition that has occurred in the overall industry over the last uh, few years. Um, when I think about where Pendo is a um, seven-year-old company now, and uh, the amazing growth that we have had um, would not have been possible if if we had built the organization using kind of traditional on-prem solutions. It would have required a tremendous amount of capital outlay versus just going and buying you know, other SaaS and PaaS and infrastructures as service offerings that we could uh, build our company with. And so for me, it's the same thing. If there's a great SaaS solution out there that I can purchase and uh, and actually deliver value, uh, part of my program very quickly, and let me focus my resources on something else that is more um, that would be more difficult for somebody external to do. So I'll, I'll pick product security. I have a big focus on product security because, again, our biggest risk is is our product. It's the thing that we build and deliver to our customers. You know, as we were just talking about, 
we have an issue with that, uh, somehow or another, the data is exposed, or if our client calls us, our, our agent that goes into our, our customer's applications has an issue and causes uh, a problem for them, then yeah, those are, those are, again, back to that existential threat thing. Those are problems that are, are huge and we need to avoid them. So I feel like product security needs to be my focus, uh, my primary focus, because that is my biggest risk. Um, that's not something that's easily outsourced because to do product security, right, you really have to have people that understand the platform, that understand what you're building, understands the code base, and maybe most importantly, the people, uh, because we have to interface with our developers. We have to have great relationships with them, and relationships like that aren't things that you can outsource. So yeah, for me, it makes sense to bring something like that in-house, focus resources there, and things that, like, okay, yeah, pen test. Uh, you know, I could hire pen testers. I had some internal pen testers at Duke, and I, I think it was good to have them that, in that organization. But um, for me, at Pendo, I feel like, yeah, you know, I need to focus my resources a little bit differently for where we are right now. Um, maybe eventually I'll get to a point where I feel like I need an internal pen testing for, for where I am right now. It's more about building the, you know, the basic building blocks of that SDLC, the software development lifecycle. And most importantly, the engagement, um, that level of engagement and relationship with our developers. Um, yeah, I can only do that with internal people. So um, that's why I'm focusing my resources. And like I said, if there's something that makes sense to outsource, I will do that uh, for those areas. Cool. cool. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. Um, Chuck, as our closing question today, I would love to know... Thing one, what is your favorite thing about being a CISO? And thing two, what is your least favorite thing about being a CISO? <laughs> um, I think the uh, thing one, I've talked about it a couple of times, is being able to build. Um, you know, it's building a team, um, figuring out how to get it aligned with the business. Um, I really enjoy that piece. You know, being able to, also developing talent, um, bringing, being able to, to, as part of those teams, Bring in people who are new to the security field and, um, you know, give them that opportunity to, to, you know, to start their career in security. Um, and then seeing those people being wildly successful several, several years later. My first hire at Pendo, in fact, was somebody who interned for us at Duke. Um, and she had left and gone to work for another very large, uh, insurance company for several years. And when I joined Pendo, I uh, reached out to her. Um, and so, and she had done a great job as an intern and was just, you know, like, hey, would you be interested in this? And uh, it turned out she was. And that's, you know, to see somebody like that grow, you know, starting as an intern at a previous job and, you know, grow in that at that insurance company and now growing at Pendo, that is hugely satisfying uh, as, a, as a CISO, as a, you know, as a person, actually, just, just being able to help her get her start in the industry. What's... Uh, the, the least uh, satisfying part about um, being a CISO, yeah, it's the stress. You know, we we are carrying a lot of weight on our shoulders, um, and you know, we know we have a target on our backs all the time, um, and we we know we cannot address all the risks that are out there. So you know, it's it's always it always feels like you're trying to stay one step ahead of um, you know that really bad day. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, hey, I've come yeah, I've gotten used to dealing with that stress. So um, yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's okay. <laughs> so, Chuck, I know that I said that that was my last question, mm-hmm. but I'm going to ask another question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the stress is real in these roles. And I think that 
I think that those of us in cybersecurity, some of us really enjoy the adrenaline and the excitement, but it, it does, there's kind of two sides to that coin. Um, I wonder if you have any advice for our listeners, uh, whether they be security leadership, uh, security team members, what advice would you give to others about taking care of yourself and your wellness uh, while, you know, yeah. doing a good job at this super hard job that we do? Yeah, I, I think it's um, an incredibly valid point. You know, self-care is is a thing um, that security people need to worry about. This, it's a, this is an industry that's very easy to burn out in. And uh, I would be lying if I, you know, said that, that I've never thought about, you know, maybe I should do something else. Maybe maybe there's something other than InfoSec that I might be interested in doing. And maybe one day there will be. Um, but uh, yes, it is it is definitely an industry that is full of stress. And we have to, I, I think, you know, for me, what I try to do is, um, I, I wouldn't say that I meditate because I have not figured out exactly what that is just yet. But I try to reflect and understand where my head is. And if I, if I find I'm like, okay, I'm in a really stressed place. I need to go do, yes, I need to go take a walk. In fact, I have one thing I have started doing, uh, pretty regularly over the last few months, particularly in the work from home world here is to take an, uh, you know, a 30 minute walk in the evening. Um, and I find that it'd be a very good way just to reset my head, uh, to get some fresh air. Um, and, you know, maybe listen to a podcast. Actually, I listen to a lot of security podcasts and, uh, uh, like this one here. <laughs> um, but, um, I also listen to other types of podcasts. I listen to storytelling podcasts and things that are, you know, outside of the security world as well. Um, just to kind of get my head into a different place. And, um, usually I come back feeling a little, you know, refreshed and, uh, a little less stressed. So yeah, just, I, I think, uh, taking those little breaks, little micro breaks when you can and then longer breaks when, you know, when your work life uh, affords you the opportunity to go take a vacation, definitely do that. Um, don't skip on the vacation time. Cool. You know, Chuck, if I can reflect a bit on what you shared with us, to me, it sounds like you've really developed a strong sense of self-awareness and you've really worked to cultivate and give yourself those moments and that time to check in with, with yourself and ask yourself, how am I doing? Uh, and maybe if I'm not doing okay or, or something, then, then you can then you can address it. I think um, I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, hopefully that uh, that advice helps somebody. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a difficult industry we're all in. And um, yeah, I, I think the one last thing I would just say there is, is always reach out. Um, you know, if, if you need help, there's lots of people out there that are willing to help uh, to be those sounding boards and, uh, you know, being, able to, being willing to reach out and have those conversations when you, you're really struggling, I think is important too. Yeah. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your story with us. Um, I can't wait to see what happens as Pendo continues to grow. Um, and yeah, you know, you'll have to let us know uh, how your role continues to develop. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. Thank you again, Caroline. I really enjoyed the conversation today and uh, an incredible opportunity to be here. Thank you so much. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.